This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. With us today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, Comedian Lee Camp, The David Pakman Show, The Tom Hartman Program, The Young Turks, Counterspin, The Media Matters Minute, The David Feldman Show, and The Jimmy Dore Show. And a note for listeners that this episode utilizes profanity to describe just how workers in America and around the world are getting uh, effed. There was a group of protesters who we are told by the state police rushed to two police officers trying to get into the Senate chamber. At that point, the police officers took out chemical spray, pepper spray, sprayed them, and eight people ended up, eight protesters ended up being arrested. And so now there is a phalanx of state police officers out in front of the Senate chambers, and it's similar in front of the House chambers as they begin to take up this bill. That was what democracy looked like today in Michigan, where the state's Republican majority began voting on a bill that will dramatically curb the power of unions. Hundreds of people flooded into the Michigan state capitol where the House was scheduled to debate the bill. Police locked down the building until a local court ordered that they open the doors again. The scene in Michigan today looked familiar. It looked like the scenes in Indiana and in Ohio and in Wisconsin, where those states voted to take away the rights of unions. In fact, it was exactly that kind of scene Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, a Republican, had said he wanted to avoid. In February, Governor Snyder looked at those other Midwestern states with Republican governors and workers protesting in the state capitol and decided he did not want that thing in Michigan, not in his historically very strong union state. Governor Snyder said, quote, You look at now that they've had those things happen. Do they have a productive environment to solve problems? Not necessarily. They're still overcoming the divisiveness, the hard feelings from all of that. At the time, reporters wanted to know whether Rick Snyder would support what is known as a right-to-work law. The idea of right-to-work is simple. Under a right-to-work law, employees of a union shop don't have to pay union dues. The employees get the benefit of a union, the higher wages, the better health care, all that, but they do not have to pay for it. And why pay money if you can have something for free? For unions, the results of this are close to catastrophic, which is why Republicans in big business love right-to-work laws. They are a way of frontally destroying unions. The same Heritage Foundation that will be Jim DeMint's new home says union membership fell by 15% in states that passed right-to-work. Union organizing fell by half. Passing a right-to-work law stops unions, and it stops organizing. On the labor left, the Economic Policy Institute reports that wages fall by more than 3% after you institute right-to-work. And pensions take a hit, too. That's why unions call right-to-work the right-to-work-for-less. With Governor Snyder saying he wanted no part of a fight over right-to-work just a few months ago, the move to pass a bill in Michigan was, well, kind of surprising. It, it appears to have started this year with a referendum campaign by union activists to protect union rights. Against Governor Snyder's wishes, they collected signatures and got a referendum on the ballot that would have made it impossible for the state to pass a right-to-work law that Governor Snyder said he opposed, now or ever. That referendum failed fell by 16 points. That was November. On Tuesday, all of a sudden, Governor Snyder said right to work was on his agenda. How come? Quoting the Detroit Free Press, there is a view that unions must put something on the table if right to work is not to proceed after having gone ahead with a collective bargaining ballot proposal against his urging in last month's election. So this is payback? Bargaining? 
This morning, Governor Snyder held a press conference with Republican lawmakers to announce new right-to-work legislation for the current lame duck session. The governor said he was doing it for the good of Michigan's workers. And then the lawmakers explained that they had crafted the bill in such a way that Michigan voters could not put it up for appeal by referendum, the way they repealed Governor Snyder's emergency manager law last month. So it's so good, you can't actually get rid of it, even if you want to, voters. Republicans then rushed the new language into a vote at the State House, where it passed by a largely party-line vote of 58 to 52, just before 5 p.m. local time. So depending on how you look at it, the entire legislative process today took about an hour and a half. This evening, the Republican-controlled Senate also voted yes. House Democrats are now trying to slow down final passage of the bill, and the protesters will likely continue their protesting. Both Governor Rick Snyder saying he will sign a right-to-work bill if Republicans want to take away strong unions in Michigan. There may not be that much that can stop them. You've been to our shows. Yes, all your songs. Now we're asking you to add to each chorus each song and... Uh, like I said, right now in Michigan, there is a, a big day of action. At least 15,000 people, by all accounts, <clears throat> have gathered outside of the State House. I think they're, they're taking the vote now in the uh, Michigan House. I'm not sure what happens if the... Um, If it went to, from the House to the Senate, back to the House, and this is some type of conference bill, I'm not quite sure, but uh, and I can't quite figure it out, to be honest with you. All I know is that we've got 15,000 people outside of um, the, the State uh, House in Lansing. We will talk to uh, Rich Yeselson, who's written a piece in the uh, Prospect, uh, American Prospect. This is not Wisconsin. It's worse. You should know, just uh, to put this in context, why are we seeing this happen in Michigan now during the lame duck session? In December of 2012, the makeup of the House, the Michigan House, 64 Republicans, 46 Democrats. In three weeks, the makeup of the House will be 59 Republicans and 51 Democrats. In other words, they won't have a supermajority. The number of lame duck House Republicans who voted for right to work, 13 those 13 Republicans will be replaced by seven Republicans and six Democrats. The number of lame duck House Democrats who voted against right to work, 13. Those will be replaced by one Republican and 12 Democrats. The number of Republicans who voted against right to work last week, six. The number of those six Republicans who will be in the House in January of 2013, six. Right to work vote on 12-6-2012 passed by 58 to 52. The likely right to, uh, the vote on right to work with new legislature in 2013 will fail 57 to 53 projected. But of course, by that point, it may be too late. My understanding of the nature of this bill is that it cannot be overturned by a referendum. So it would require Democrats taking over the uh, Michigan House, 
by a, I guess about about a ten a ten seat swing. You should know that uh, this is also a function again of what happened in 20, uh, 2010 in local races in particular, but not necessarily statewide races, but races uh, for state for Senate, state Senate, and state House seats. And this is all part, in many respects, of the redistricting. The next wave, and we're going to talk um, sometime in the next week or two, that we're going to see is an attempt by Republicans in these state houses, for instance, Michigan, for instance, uh, perhaps Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, maybe in Ohio, to use the advantage that they have uh, created for themselves by gerrymandering and creating very safe Republican congressional districts. For instance, in Pennsylvania, President Obama wins by half a dozen points or so, a little more, seven. However, the Pennsylvania delegation to the House, to Congress, is I think it's 13 to 5, Republicans to Democrats. This is because of redistricting. What the next thing we will see for Republicans in their attempt to win national elections will be to change the laws in these states to have the electoral vote not represent the popular vote in that state. In other words, Pennsylvania, uh, President Obama wins by six or seven points, so he gets all the electoral votes, but to shift it to be a function of the congressional districts. So in other words, Pennsylvania could see a situation where a significant majority of people vote for the Democratic presidential nominee. However, because of their gerrymandering, they have created a situation where more congressional districts are Republican, and therefore the state would go to the Republican nominee. Sort of a audacious plan, I guess you could say. But uh, this is in the works. This is all part of that fallout from 2010. So why are we circling the drain right now? Why the fucking... I, I think part of the reason is because the difference between... Good people and bad people, the difference between just people and evil people is that evil people have plans. They always have a fucking plan, right? You and I don't have plans or missing to agendas. We just stumble through life thinking everybody will treat each other right and play a game of frisbee golf. You know, we don't fucking have plans. They have, they have, they have iPad apps and, and, and PowerPoint presentations to figure out just how evil's coming along and see if it needs an evil course correction. We don't have fucking plans. We have donuts and Sudoku. It's just donuts and Sudoku. That's all we fucking have. I mean, what was your plan tonight? Your plan was to, to get a drink and, and come have some laughs. Meanwhile, Halliburton's plan was to cause a military coup in the sovereign country of Eritrea, a place neither you nor I even knew existed, but they knew it existed because they have maps. They have plans and maps, all right? And I'm just saying the good people of this world aren't going to make any progress until we get some fucking office supplies, all right? Just a couple of three-hole punches or something. Something. We got no plans, no plans at all. 
Heaven's always transcending Fight her like sheep, swallow everything Always simpletons or pretending Big news out of Michigan. We've got to talk about this story. Republican Michigan Governor Rick Snyder has uh, uh, managed to get some right-to-work bills signed into law in Michigan, and these significantly diminish the power of unions. Now, remember, unions are already not that powerful because only a fraction of the American workforce is even unionized. I think a better name for these are uh, right-to-fire laws or right-to-work for less laws. And as you can see, we have a map here of, of states that are right-to-work states and forced unionism states over our, our shoulders here, which you can peruse. So what, what's all this about, Lewis? Money. Is that what it is? Isn't it? Here's how it works. Right-to-work laws forbid contracts between companies and unions that require all of the workers to pay the union for bargaining on their behalf. So Business groups are saying, hey, it's about workplace freedom. You shouldn't have to pay those union dues. But it's a, it's a non-starter. Unions note the law allows workers to opt out of supporting the union while still getting the benefits of the collective bargaining. So that, that should tell you a lot about this. And since the laws tend to weaken unions generally, unions as well as President Obama obviously are against these laws, uh, as am I. Right. So the move is a victory for right-to-work opponents in particular because most right-to-work states are solidly red, as you can see here from this map. These are, these are typically red states with some exceptions. However, Michigan is a state that has, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Natan, but is it since 1988 voted for the Democratic presidential candidate? That's right, yeah, 1988 for... Uh Bush 41 was the last time they voted Republican. Exactly. So being able to go to Michigan, a, a blue state for, for 24 years at this point, one of the highest rates of unionization in the country, the birthplace of the modern automotive industry, and to basically say, hey, we're going to significantly weaken unions in one of the last places where they're even remotely a force of any kind, this is a big deal. And the, the Republican-controlled legislature has now fast-tracked two bills which are authorizing these measures. Snyder is a smart guy. He knows that the union workers are going to stop paying the dues now. They did it in Wisconsin. They will do it here. And the law, uh, you, you know, it just it's, it's a law that is going to hurt working people, even though Republicans deny it. Of course, Republicans say this isn't to hurt work. It's not going to hurt working people. And, of course, they said that shortening the number of early voting days wasn't to keep people from voting. Yeah, I believe it. Sure. Why not? Right. For all the liberalization that we've been talking about in terms of the gay marriage votes by popular vote in the 2012 election, marijuana legalization, all of those things that we outlined, this is one area where the right is still making an impact, isn't it, Lewis? Yeah. And what it comes down to, once again, is just big corporations maximizing their profits. It, all, it, t it typically always starts or ends there. Today we may prosper, today we live free, but if it weren't for the union, where would we be? Lewis, what would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs> Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like this show. Can you be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, is, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of this show. 
<laughs> of course. That's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What, do you put pictures up of yourself at home, too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. countries where workers aren't free. If it weren't for the unions, where would we be? 1935. The American... Automobile Manufacturers Association, also known as the Automobile Manufacturers Association. It was a lobbying group, a front group for the car manufacturers that ironically brought us Mitt Romney. They penned the phrase right to work for the very first time, 1935. Now, this is, this is very similar. And by the way, I want to give credit where credit's due. Mark Ames. Uh, the uh, labor desk over at nsfwcorp.com uh, just has written this absolutely brilliant piece. You hate right-to-work laws more than you know. Here's why. And uh, it's just it's, – it's a goldmine of, of factoids and data, and it's just – it's brilliantly written. Highly recommend it to you. And, and he points out in here – and I've run across some of this stuff in other places, but this – he pulled it, all of it together so well. First of all, what does this have to do with Mitt Romney? Romney's dad, George, was the governor of the state that I was growing up in, Michigan, when I was a kid. And he got there from being the president of AMC, American Motors Corporation. He got to be the president of the American Motors Corporation because he'd been the head lobbyist for the Automobile Manufacturers Association starting in 1939. But four years earlier, the AMA, the American, excuse me, the Automobile Manufacturers Association, had uh, published a, they, they were trying to take down the Wagner Act. This was uh, FDR's legislation that established the right of workers to form a union. And once they had formed that union by majority vote, a democratic institution, much much like, you know, when states joined the union, you had to have a majority vote, these kind of things. And it, once they had created that union, then everybody who was benefiting from the work of that union had to pay dues to the union. It just makes sense. It's like, you know, if, if you join the uh, Chamber of Commerce, they are, and you expect the benefits of joining the Chamber of Commerce, and there are many to big companies and small companies too, even local companies, you damn well better pay your dues or they're going to kick you out. Same thing. Okay. So this was, this, this really goes back, if, if you take this back in history, back in American history, the, the 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 guy who was really behind all this, according to Mark Ames, is a fellow by the name of Vance Muse, M U S E. And in talking about the Wagner Act of 1935, the the law that established the right to unionize in the United States, and keep in mind, before the Wagner Act, unionization in the United States was in single digits, very very few. And by 1947, it was 35 percent of American workers. We were, by the way, behind. Most of Europe on this. I mean, way behind. But Vance Muse wrote, this founder of the Right to Work anti-labor campaigns, in response to the Wagner Act, and this was the real core of this thing, was this racist rant. The original Right to Work laws were in in large part, you know, just the they were they were well, 
there, there was a racist genesis to these things. And he wrote, from now on, white women and white men will be forced into organizations with black, black African apes whom they will have to call brother or lose their jobs. That was the response. It, basically, this coalition of uh, fringe Southerners, Vance Mews was this guy from Texas who engineered basically a racist takeover or, you know, within the Democratic Party that ultimately flipped the Democratic Party Republican. It was the original Southern strategy down in the South. And you, you look at this, I mean, you know, keep in mind, it wasn't until 1938 that child labor was outlawed in the United States. The Supreme Court had been fighting that. We passed child labor laws back in the 19-teens, and the Supreme Court knocked them down, said they're a violation of the right to contract. So, again, we were behind the rest of the civilized world. But, you know, go back to 1913. The Colorado, or the, uh, excuse me, the Rockefeller family owned uh, some mines in Colorado, the Ludlow Mines. And there was just, a, it was an absolute massacre there. There was another one, this in West Virginia. Oh, I'm sorry, this was in Colorado. As Mark Ames writes, but you probably don't know many of the details, like how Rockefeller's private armed goons patrolled the miners' miserable tent cities in an armored car with a mounted machine gun, spraying the tents and terrorizing the strikers who demanded radical concessions from the company, such as, quote, enforcement of Colorado's laws. End quote. Yes, this is what the workers wanted. They wanted an eight-hour work day. They wanted they wanted to pay for the time that they actually worked. Eventually, there was this tent city, and they were being sprayed with with bullets periodically by the by the the goons who had been hired by the Rockefeller family. So they dug trenches inside the tents so that they could get below the bullets. That this was the 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 miners and their families. Their, their, their wives and kids. So when they dug those trenches and looked like they were going to be in for the long haul, the Colorado National Guardsmen poured kerosene on the tent, set it on fire, and killed people as they came running out. We know that at least a dozen children were killed. And, and multiple tens of workers, scores of workers and their wives killed. And hundreds of miners ultimately were arrested Seriously, that's what it was like in America before 1935. Coal trains run through our veins, moving monuments to better days. That mountain stands over our darkened lungs. It's time to ponder what we've become in his company town. What we know Change comes hard Change comes slow Until the bottom falls out That's how it goes down Until the money's all drained From a company town You might have heard about this fire in Bangladesh. It's really tragic. They were making products that wound up at Walmart. Walmart says, oh, it must have been a subcontractor. We don't know anything about it, of course. Now, it's just inconvenient that it happened to be all Walmart goods that were being made there. Uh, anyway, fire winds up killing 129 people. Now, why did it kill 129 people? 
Uh, well, it's because there was no functioning fire extinguishers. And that kind of hurts when you're in a massive fire in a multi-story building. Uh, but here's what's much, much worse. They locked the exits. And the managers, even after the fire alarm, told the workers to get back to work. 129 people burned to death. Okay, so here comes Charles Payne, an analyst for Fox Business. Listen to what he has to say about it. Don't think that the people in Bangladesh who perished uh, didn't want or need those jobs as well. You know, I know we like to victimize everyone in this country, particularly when it comes to the for-profit motivation, which is being assaulted. But, uh, you know, it's a tragedy, uh, but I think it's a stretch, an amazing stretch to sort of try to pin this on Walmart. And listen, Walmart had its problems, and they have come a long way, and I think they will continue to do well you know, and, and improve in, in, in any area they can. I'm not here as an apologist for, for Walmart, but I am here as something, uh, as, a, uh, as a spokesperson for capitalism and, and the American dream. Look, he certainly sounded like an apologist for Walmart, but you could disagree with that and say, hey, maybe they don't bear responsibility for this. Although, keep it real, if they had real rules and regulations, it might cost just a penny more, in which case Walmart would buy from a different factory. Okay, But all right, leave that aside. Did you hear what he said at the end? This is the American dream? This is what he views as capitalism? Oof. No, no, no. I, I, I'm a believer in capitalism. And this is not my idea of capitalism. And this is not my idea of the American dream. And if you think this is capitalism functioning properly, there's something wrong with you. You're sick, man. Have you no decency? People burned to death, 129 of them there. They had locked the exits. That's your idea of the American dream? But think about that, man. That's the guy they bring on as a business analyst all the time. This is what they think is an ideal version of capitalism, where the workers have no rights, get crushed mercilessly, and all the money flows to the top. That's not my idea of the dream. That looks like a nightmare. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. The New York Times has, to its credit, continued to report on the horrible fire at the Tazreen factory in Bangladesh, where over a 100 workers were killed, making apparel for major Western brands like Disney and Walmart. But one of these stories advanced some curious assumptions about how these factories operate and what responsibility major companies like Walmart have for the rights of workers making their clothing. In the December 6th piece, it's clear that the factory was unsafe and that workers were at great risk. 
But when it comes to pondering the bigger questions, the Times punts. They report that, quote, After the fire, Walmart, Sears, and other retailers made the same startling admission. They say they did not know that Tazreen Fashions was making their clothing. But who then is ultimately responsible when things go so wrong? Close quote. That would seem to take at fate's value the notion that the corporations profiting from this system have no real control over it. And to the Times, they're trying hard to do the right thing. Quote, the global apparel industry aspires to operate with accountability that extends from distant factories to retail stores. Close quote. Now that's certainly what a company like Walmart would tell you, but if your clothes are being made in a factory where workers are quite literally risking and losing their lives, perhaps corporate aspirations are not what they would appear. The paper reports that, despite the clear violations, Tazreen was, quote, slipping through the gaps in the system by delivering the low costs and quick turnarounds that buyers and consumers demand, close quote. Huh. So it's not just the Walmarts of the world who are to blame. It's consumers, like you and I, demanding that products be made quickly somewhere else where workers are placed in grave danger. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Bradley Herring. On America's Newsroom, Fox News contributor Steve Moore celebrated the fraudulently named right-to-work bills recently passed by the Michigan State Legislature. It's huge for the, for the economic future of Michigan. And the other point I'd like to make, Bill, is you know the unions are saying this is anti-worker, when in fact it's exactly the opposite. All right-to-work laws do, Bill, because people get confused about this. All these laws do is say the, the union has the right to establish itself, but every individual worker has the right to decide whether they want to join that union or not. But that's actually not all the laws could do. Multiple outlets, including the Nonpartisan Economic Policy Institute, have studied similar laws. They've found that these anti-union bills lead to lower wages and reduced chances of receiving employer-sponsored health insurance and pensions. What's more, they do not increase employment and have had little impact on economic growth. So what does right to work mean? It means that workers, employees, can get a job in a unionized shop and they cannot be forced to pay union dues. Now, I'm going to explain this to you because only 7% of Americans belong to a union in the private sector. So most of you including me, really don't understand this, and it's really important. And they don't teach about, they don't teach the history of the union movement in our public schools or our colleges or in our civics lessons. They don't want you to know how to organize. Your kids do not know about unions. There's a Cesar Chavez Boulevard in every poor neighborhood in America, but they won't tell you who Cesar Chavez is. So right to work means, for example, I belong to the Writers Guild, which is a guild, not a union, but let's just say it's a union. So you have a television show, you have a television show, and it's a member of the Writers Guild, which means you cannot write for the show unless you're a member of the guild. You're not allowed to work on the television show unless you're a member of the guild. And the Guild has what is called an MBA, a minimum basic agreement that establishes a base, a base pay. 
And they also establish how much work you have to give the writers. Because what they found out is if a show runs 13 weeks, sometimes they'll give a writer 10 weeks of work, 6 weeks of work, and make them work 7 days a week, 15 hours a day, and squeeze 13 weeks of work out of them in a seven-week period. So the unions protect the writer. The Writers Guild protects the writer. They say, your show is 13 weeks. We're insisting that you give the writers 16 weeks of work, three weeks of prep work and 13 weeks to get the show produced so that we aren't killed, so that we're not working 20 hours a day. So it becomes a what is called a unionized shop. You cannot write for the show unless you're a member of the union. If you belong to a union, you have to pay dues. And the nice people from ALEC, the people who support right-to-work legislation, say, well, you shouldn't be forced to pay dues to a union. That's, that's a form of taxation. That's unfair. Why should the union get a piece of your income? That's a racket. That's corruption. You know, the unions are, are in bed with the mafia. Remember Jimmy Hoffa? They're all corrupt. And they pass what is called these right-to-work laws, which say a union shop can hire non-union workers. The workers who, who come to work at a non-union shop do not have to pay union dues. But they reap all the benefits of the union contract. So let me explain this to you, because it's a little, you know, only 7% of Americans, unfortunately, have a union. You have a television show, and it is union. And you have all these writers who get health care and pension and a minimum basic agreement, a contract that guarantees a certain amount of work and hours and protections and job safety. And then suddenly... You're in a right-to-work state, and your boss can now hire non-union writers. And they don't have to pay dues to the union, but they reap all the benefits that the union has to offer. I don't think they collect the health care and the pension. I'm not sure about that. But they reap other benefits, and they don't pay dues. So for the first year or two when a state becomes a right-to-work state, everybody's happy because... The union people still have their contract. The non-union people reap the benefits of all the hard labor of the union, but they don't have to pay dues. And everybody's winning. But then the union members look at their co-workers who are non-union, and they're not paying dues, and everybody's strapped for cash. And suddenly the union members say, well, wait a second. This guy's not paying union dues. Why should I pay union dues? So the union members stop paying their dues. And because it's a right-to-work state, the union cannot force its membership to pay dues. And then, after about a year or two, it's time for the next negotiation with management. And the union steps up to the plate to negotiate a new contract with management. And guess what? The union has no money, no dues, no money, no money, no unions. 
It's a sad reality. Unions need money to negotiate for you. Unions need money to protect you. And what happens when there are no unions? Every study indicates wages immediately begin to plummet. And when wages plummet, tax revenues plummet. If you're being paid less, it means you pay less income tax to the state. When it's explained to me, they say, you know, it's a vicious cycle. No unions, no wages, no taxes. I don't see what's cyclical about this. It's, it's an arrow pointing straight down. There's no cycle here. The unions aren't coming back. Wages aren't coming back. There's nothing cyclical about this. It's straight down. Michigan is now the 24th state to become a right-to-work state. And study after study shows that right-to-work laws not only destroy unions, they not only make the unions weaker, and I think I, I hope I've explained to you why. If you don't have to pay dues, it just automatically weakens a union because it's not a charity. You need lawyers. You need negotiators. You need mediators. Picket signs are expensive. So the unions get destroyed. Every study shows this. Unions get destroyed, lower wages across the board, and it becomes unsafe. It becomes unsafe at the job because it's the job of a union to protect the workers, to make sure that you're safe. And most importantly, study after study shows that once a state passes the right-to-work law, the overall state economy plummets. So how come Republicans insist a rising tide lifts all boats when it comes to lowering taxes for the richest 1%? But providing a livable wage for the middle class? That sinks their yacht. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Remember how Hostess went out of business? They're in bankruptcy now. No more Twinkies, etc. They'll be bought by someone. Twinkies will be back. But what won't be back is the 18,000 workers. They're all fired, right? Well, we got insult to injury news today. Turns out the executives had raided their pensions. The new CEO in charge, it is not his fault, he's just reporting it, says, hey man, look, last year, uh, I don't know why they did it, how they did it, but uh, they dipped into the pensions that they weren't supposed to dip into. Now, understand, that's money that comes out of your paycheck every single week. And they put it aside for you, except the executives didn't put it aside for you. They took it. And remember last month, a court agreed that those executives should get a nearly $2 million bonus, even though the company is bankrupt. Man, this is a royal screwing. 
if the American people knew how badly they were getting screwed, there'd be a lot more of that anger in the streets, man. I mean, and part of the reason you don't know is because the media doesn't tell you. I mean, you turn on CNN, do they tell you this story? Do they tell you who's actually funding Snyder? No, they say Snyder is a guy who is, you know, he said this and she said that, and Snyder appears to be a moderate, but he went in this direction this time? Do they tell you who's pulling the puppet strings? No, they never tell you that. They tell you that these executives, they robbed you blind, and, and then, then they fired all 18,000 of you, and then now they say, oh, sorry, we don't know where your pension is. Are you kidding me, man? If there's any justice in the world... Those executives from Hostess should be immediately arrested. I mean, that's theft. That's theft. What if they can't get the money back in bankruptcy? What if they can't get the money to put in the pensions? What are they going to say? Just sad day. Ha ha. You worked all that time. We took all that money out of your paycheck and we kept it. And we got a bonus for that. They're inviting disaster, man. When people find out how bad they got robbed, people are not happy about being robbed. That makes them pretty damn angry. You're inviting disaster. There are bounds of reason to how much you can push people. And they push and they push and they push. God damn it, I can't believe they took their pensions. The, the sad thing is, I can believe it. Because they do it over and over again. God. And by the way, you know, look, we talk about the corporate machine, right? And yeah, no, no question, the corporate machine exists, and if you have a soul, you get removed, and they bring in the next guy, etc. But I mean, there are human beings making these decisions. If all these guys that work at the Young Turks, they put into their pensions, all those years, all those years they worked, and put, put into the pension, and then I took the fucking money. I mean, when you make it personal, do you understand what, what a bad fucking guys these guys are? And then after I took all their money and laughed, I asked for a bonus, and the court gave it to me. No, man, this is a sickness, man. At some point, we we got to put an end to it, and in the right way, in the right way, we got to pass the amendment. If we don't pass the amendment, we're whistling past the graveyard here, the graveyard of our democracy. Starts off just a whiskey and wine, on some miles of travel and some real good times, but it. Ends in a dark corridor Where there ain't no windows And there ain't no doors Well that's me Just a drinking off this bottle And a drifting out to sea Oh that's me Just a sitting here staring And a shaking like a leaf Oh that's me just a leaning on my shovel in this graveyard of dreams, oh that's me. Just a leaning on my shovel in this graveyard of dreams. Okay, so we know what's been going on in um, in Michigan, right? So they passed the right to work state. So they brought on the governor was on the television. He came on to talk about it, and uh, let's just listen to this is Governor Snyder, Governor Snyder. Right. It's funny because the most popular, the most famous Snyder that I can remember from my youth was Snyder from one day at a time. Sure. And he used to come right. by and fix stuff. And this guy comes by and breaks stuff. So, <laughs> so uh, here's what he had to say about it. Ready? Right to work is about the relationship between the union and workers. And this is about being pro-workers, giving workers the choice. If anything, this yes, it's about giving the workers the choice. Take it or leave it. <laughs> 
That's, that's, that's the, the choices. That's the choice. Okay, he's got a little bit more to say. Giving workers the choice. If anything, this should encourage unions to be more responsive to workers. Oh, yeah. For example, they're going to be more responsive by waving goodbye to them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'd say I'd say it's the workers' fault anyway. They should have saved all the money they made in the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here we are, uh, and Governor. So he now workers now workers will be able to accept gratuities while they're working. <laughs> yeah, yes, they can get tips. So the 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 crazy thing. So right to work. Um, what it does is it makes people who work at a so if say like you work at a at a company. And the place wants to have a union. The way the law, labor laws work is that if 51% of the workers want to join a union, then it becomes what they call a closed shop, a union shop. Meaning if you want to work there, you don't necessarily have to join the union, but you do have to pay dues to the union. And, and most of the dues that you pay, in fact, go to the workings of the union protecting workers uh, uh you know representing them when they're getting uh fired uh bargaining for them collectively stuff like that very small percentage of the money goes towards political uh, that's the whole thing why should i have to support a union give my money to them and they're going to take my money and give it give it to politicians that i don't agree with so that's the whole big theory but the theory is so now now the thing is oh you don't have to pay to into a union uh, and then you'll just, uh, you know, the union has to compete for the the workers' dues. But the problem with that is that uh, no one's going to pay for something they don't have to. And uh, right. the, and so that th that's pretty much effectively the end of the union when they do that. So here he goes on to talk even more about it. It's about economic development. We will get more and better jobs coming to Michigan because we're going to be more competitive. Yeah, they're gonna, Michigan's going to get all kinds of jobs like they have in China and for the same wages. <laughs> A lot of jobs. Yeah, yeah. The new law is going to create more and better jobs in a growing field of Republican job elimination. <laughs> It'll be a boom town. You know, Jimmy, uh, yes, Jimmy Frank. Unions, uh, you're you're leaving out the horrible effect. You know what came out of unions? That awful thing that we all hate called the middle class. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! And the forty-day work week shackled me to that some more. Damn unions! You know what nobody's mentioning here, Robert, is that this the right to work law goes a long way towards protecting the rights of scabs. Right. <laughs> well, here's here's what happens. They need protection it, too. And this is what happened in the South: is that uh, um, they come in and the workers who join these non-union shops get benefits comparable to what the union gets. Right. Uh, be, because the union creates competition and creates standards. Right. Uh, so even and, then, and so these people who did not sacrifice for those benefits get to reap all the benefits while giving the finger to the people who did. Yes, correct. So uh, the thing is, it's, it's not that... So he's trying to say that... Uh, you know, it's not that Republicans... You know, hate workers. They're just nostalgic for the labor conditions during the Taft administration. <laughs> <laughs> Who could blame them? Who could blame them, really? And so the whole idea that the so the BS that Snyder says it comes right. By the way, it comes right from Alec, right? So that mm -hmm. Alec. So that's they wrote this bill. Alec wrote this bill, 
And uh, and so he fronts it by saying this is going to create more jobs. It's going to make the union more respond. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Yeah, and that's why you had to pass it during a lame duck session. Right. So here's <laughs> so Carl Rove, by the way, went on Fox News. Uh, last, Ironically, somebody who's not employed. La- <laughs> last year he went on. And he kind of let the cat out of the bag on what right to work and getting rid of unions is all about. So mm-hmm. here's here's he'll explain to you what it's all about. They lost 612,000 union members in 2010 alone. Now, think about it. Every one of those 602,000 people had literally perhaps several hundred dollars worth of union dues going into the political coffers of, 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 their, of their union to spend on politics. So, yeah, you keep having a couple hundred thousand people each year. For half a million people leave the labor union movement every year, and pretty soon you start having crimp in the political budgets of these unions. It has a direct effect on the presidential oh. Okay, so he just said, so if you can put a, if you can lower the participation of workers in unions, lower the union number, you lower the union dues, and you take money out of the political process, and that takes power and the voice away from working people and gives more power to the plutocrats who are now in control of things. So that's what he's saying. That's what, that's how, that's what this is really all about. Okay. And, and by the way, there's Republican strategists on, on, his side who've said it even more explicitly like this is what we're trying to do we are trying to take out one of the legs of the democratic Party. right so what these guys don't like is uh, uh, these free marketers and i'm holding quotes up when i say that these free marketers they're for anything except the free market when it comes to democracy right they're the the more people who participate the more people get to express their opinion the worse is it is off for them and they try to suppress the vote and they try to suppress the union voice they try to get rid of their union money in politics so he's saying that the more and better jobs a bs is just a political smokescreen so that's really – that's all he's saying, and we know it now. Okay. Well, and, 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 and by so, the way, you know, the biggest – it's not like the car makers are going to become non-union shops. They will stay union shops. The majority of people uh, – anybody who wants to work there still has to pay union dues. Mm-hmm. They pay slightly less. It's called financial core. No, they don't. That's called – no, Robert, because right to work gets rid of all that. Right to work, they don't have to pay anything. That's the problem. So now, even but the UAW does have a contract for the next three years, and it will that will it will supersede this new law. So yes, right. you're correct about that. But after that three years, then it's over. So for the UAW, so I know that I, I mean, think. How much more can they oppress the working class? How much more can they take away from the middle class? Haven't we sacrificed enough? And if we don't have those uh, unions, like I hear people frequently. They really don't understand what a union has provided. Like we're talking about the 40-hour work week. We're talking about child labor, you yes. know, that we don't have that any longer. And we're talking about that I can have somebody collectively bargain my contract for me instead of me going in and begging for some money. And we all know that it would, it's hard to go and ask somebody for money. Right. And then say, I deserve a raise. Well, it's impossible. Yeah, a few points, though, to, to one of their major uh, points that they make is that because of unions, children have a much harder job finding jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and Nobody they, wants them. Yeah, because of unions, uh, kids have a much harder time finding jobs, but a much easier time finding the egg, the fire exits. But, oh, I could have got that out. Oh, it would have been a good joke. I, I, we, I don't have to. So I don't think I have to point it out to this audience that if there's a direct correlation to the dwindling uh, number of un, union members in our workforce and with income uh, 
and prosperity for the middle class. So, uh, even if you don't have a union job, if there's unions in your sector of the, uh, marketplace in America economy, your wages will be higher. Your benefits will be better because there is a union there. And we all know, okay, so we're going to get to even more of that. But so they, so, uh, thing it gives, because he talks about choice, and what he's talking about is giving working people the choice to not have dreams anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so... And that whole phrase, I know, Jimmy, but the whole phrase, right to work, it just sounds perfect. Yes, it's very Orwellian, right? It It is Orwellian. Yes, right. Yeah, that's that's like Hitler called uh, Volkswagen the... uh, People's car. The people's car, and over it said... Uh, freedom through work or something like that. Uh-huh. Freedom, freedom through oh, labor. So uh, in Lansing, Michigan, right? So they were, as they were inside, the plutocrats were inside the Capitol passing anti-worker legislation that is they're guaranteed to lower their wages. Um, on the outside, there were people protesting. A lot of unions. so Freedom Works decided Freedom Works decided to set up a tent. Right in the middle of it, and then guys like Stephen Cr- and the NRA. So there's guys like with NRA hats. So the all of a sudden, right in the middle of all these union workers who are outside desperately protesting to try to save their way of life, there's these guys who are oppressing them, setting up a tent right in the middle of them and Jeez. and goading them, right, and like getting in their face. And Stephen Crowder is one of these guys getting in their face while it's happening, while the right. plutocrats are inside screwing them. It's it's actually right. happening. Outside, this guy's taunting them. Hey, you're, you're screwing, you know. And so, uh, what, what actually happened was some of the guys from Freedom Works tore down their own tent and blamed it on the union guys. Oh, wow. Yes. So, did you know that, Frank? I, I think I'd heard that, yeah. Yes. So, I was listening. Tom Hartman reported today that, uh, the, there was a unbiased observer. Who was a worker, a local worker, who on his lunchtime walked over and he saw this guy from Freedom Works taking the straps off the tent and making it implode. And he said it didn't fall over like a tree would fall over; it fell straight down, like the buildings in 9/11 fell down. So that's how it fell down, like somebody did it on purpose. And then they blamed it on the union guys. And then the Stephen Crowder, this guy also said this guy was not the way he described Stephen Crowder's actions that day. He goes, "I didn't know who this guy was, but it was obvious this guy was looking." for a fight and he wasn't going to leave till he got one right so that's and it's funny that when the video of that fight starts everyone's like well what what led up to it all of a sudden you see this guy punch him but you don't see what happened before there's nothing so and you could tell something happened before right but they don't show you that part so the steven crowder is a big coward and uh, he was like, "This is." And he tweets this video out, and he says, "This is the most shocking video you'll, the most shocking thing you'll see all day." And I tweeted back to him, "The most shocking thing I saw all day was your indifference to the assault on working families in Michigan." Good point. And, here, here. Yes. Um, right. And you know, it's always great. Uh, co- great comedy always comes when comedians side. With the powerful people against the underdog. That's yes, the best kind of <laughs> that's problem. hilarious. That well, isn't that so? So, what does Dennis Miller say, Frank, when people make that point to him, or does he live in a bubble where nobody gets to make that point to him? That that I don't the know. that the bully doesn't need comedy. Do you know what I mean? If the bully that that you're again, I've said it before on the show. Conservatives don't do comedy. They're the reason we need comedy in the first mm-hmm. place.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Bradley Herring. Anti-worker legislation passed in Michigan on Tuesday, weakening the ability of unions to bargain for the rights of workers. Members of the right-wing media have pushed numerous myths about the pro-corporate policy. On Fox Business, Lou Dobbs joined in. And what this law changes is forced union membership. So why is the president and why are the unions so upset? Well, in this case, it is about the money, specifically union dues. Less money obviously means less political power. But the truth is that under federal labor law, forced union membership is already illegal, and unions cannot force non-members to pay fees that go to political activity. What Dobbs failed to mention is that the Michigan law gives some non-union members a free ride. The unions still negotiate on their behalf, but the workers won't pay for that weakened protection. So why are they so angry in the first place? Well, that's what a lot of people don't cover on the news. Well, that's why we got the Young Turks. So let me tell you why they're so angry. First of all, Governor Snyder in Michigan originally had said exactly a year ago, right-to-work legislation is too divisive an issue for it to be on my agenda. Oh, way too divisive. In fact, you just saw how divisive it was. But all of a sudden, a year later, it's on his agenda and he's about to sign it. Why? Because he was lying. You know, these people who take him at face value, Detroit Free Press talked about, like, we feel betrayed. He said that he was going to be a moderate. There are no such thing as Republican moderates. It's because they all get paid for the same radical agenda as I'm about to show you. So one of the guys who admitted that agenda is a guy named Ron Weisner. Now, he used to be the head of the Michigan GOP, the head of their GOP. Now, recently, he gave a speech where he explained that he was with a group of conservatives, and back in 2007, they hatched this plot. We've got it on tape of him explaining it. Watch. I had the opportunity to meet in Washington with Governor Kinney, which was the last state that passed right to work. And I was with Dick DeVos, and I was with Governor Angler, and I was with some people from AFP. And what we determined was that to win that election and be sure we were going to win it, we couldn't have a governor that was against it. And so we decided to wait and wait until we had a governor. Now we have a legislature and we have a governor. There you have it. Before we weren't sure that we could ram this through, but now we got the governor who promised not to do this legislation, but secretly, of course, promised all those donors I'm telling you about that he would do the legislation. Now we can proceed with our efforts to destroy the workers, reduce workers, re destroy the unions, reduce worker power, and pay them as little as possible. And I'll give you numbers on that in a second as well. So who was he talking to or talking about in that segment? He talked about former Michigan Governor John Engler, who's now, of course, the head of the Business Roundtable. Wow. Surprising that the Business Roundtable would like to gut workers' rights. He talked about former Oklahoma Governor Frank Keating, of course, another Republican. Billionaire donor Dick Devos. He's the guy that runs Amway. Uh, he gives his workers, he calls them all independent contractors, doesn't give them pensions, health care, gives them nothing. In fact, he just outsourced 100 blue-collar jobs in Michigan and 100 white-collar jobs from Michigan to Costa Rica. So the guy who doesn't want workers to have any rights shockingly gave a lot of money and was part of the strategy to destroy worker rights in Michigan. Wow, I couldn't have seen that coming. And uh, if you noticed 
Weisner said in the middle of that, and some people from AFP. Who is that? That's Americans for Prosperity. And they are, of course, the group funded by the Koch brothers. Of course, of course they are. In fact, the Republican Governors Association gave millions of dollars to Snyder's campaign as he was running last time around. Who gave to the uh, Republican Governors Association? Well, will you look at this? David Koch gave, and so did Paul Singer, another huge hedge fund manager, who, by the way, also has a vested interest. He bought a parts company, held it hostage uh, until uh, the government gave him uh, the money that he was looking for as part of the GM and Chrysler bailout, the guys who pretend to be against bailouts. What frauds! And then he took that parts company and literally got rid of every single union job in the state of Michigan uh, when he bought it. Gee, oh, those guys are against workers' rights? And wanted to take those away so they can crush workers more and pay them less? Well, I couldn't have seen that coming. And of course, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is also on that list. Uh, they represent all the businesses who want to pay their workers as little as possible. They're the ones who fight it, uh, f uh, funded Snyder in the first place. And really, it turns out Snyder was lying when he said he'd be a moderate and that he was against right-to-work laws. Ah, oh, weird. By the way... Snyder also appointed an emergency manager. And what did that emergency manager do? Well, adopted four out of the four recommendations from the Mackinac Group. And who are those? That is another conservative think tank, and it is funded by the Charles G. Koch Foundation, huh, who could have guessed, and the Walton Family Foundation. In other words, Walmart. All the money eventually goes back to corporations who get all of the advantages when you want to make sure that you get none of them. All right, what else do they have for you? Well, uh, the state director, at least in Michigan for Americans for Prosperity, admits what they're up to. They say Michigan passage of right to work legislation will be the shot heard around the world for workplace freedom, as they claim it. A victory over forced unionization in a union stronghold like Michigan would be an unprecedented win. In other words, Look at that. We came to Michigan where the auto workers are, and we screwed you in your capital. You see, we can do it anywhere. We can buy any politician. Your democracy doesn't mean a damn thing. We buy those guys, we hatch the plot, and then we take away your rights, and then we pay you lower wages. That's how it works. But if that wasn't clear enough, they got even clearer. Here is Scott Hagerstrom, the Michigan State Director for Amer Americans for Prosperity. He says... We fight these battles on taxes and regulation, but really, what we would like to see is to take unions out at the knees so they don't have the resources to fight these battles. You see that? And that's the quote right there. That's the most important one. He says, we want to gut you so bad, you can't even fight back. That's the whole point. <laughs> and then, if that wasn't clear enough, uh, Detroit Free Press, who's now finally woken up to what's happening, says, oh, right, they intimidate the legislators. Huh, interesting. They report, quote, certainly there are a large number of Michigan legislators who are beholden to Americans for Prosperity or the Koch brothers. Word is the group's threatened Senate Majority Leader Randy Richardville's leadership post and promised them a primary challenge in 2014 if he refused to move the right to work forward. Of course, they got these guys in their back pocket. If the Republicans dare disagree with their donors, the donors come out with a stick and they go, wait now, what would you like? Would you like all the help you need and all the funding, or would you like a primary challenge that's funded by millions of dollars from us? In which case, you'll be free to go home. 
That's how this system is rigged. So what are the results of that rigging? Oh, wait till you get a load of this. So now they tell us right to work is great. In fact, here, look at Governor Snyder. He's going to explain to us, oh, it's wonderful for jobs here. And as a practical matter, the other thing this can do in Michigan is bring more and better jobs to Michigan. Indiana's had a strong experience. They did similar legislation back in February. Um, they've seen thousands of jobs come to Indiana, and those jobs could also come to Michigan. <laughs> so does it work? Well, let's take a look, because that is it. There's uh, 24 right-to-work states now with Michigan, uh, as it'll happen very soon. Uh, now let's take a look at the numbers. So four out of five of the top five states that uh, receive the most federal aid are right-to-work states. Now, why do you need all that federal aid if all the jobs are pouring in and your economy is doing great? Turns out, no, your economy is not doing great. You need the federal government to bail your ass out. How about wages? In right-to-work states, they are 3.2% lower. How about employer-sponsored health insurance? It's 2.6% lower. The rate of employer-sponsored pensions is 4.8% lower. So the minute you have a quote-unquote right-to-work, you lose your wages, you lose your health benefits, you lose your pensions. All of those down, go down, not up. The jobs also don't go up. What goes up is federal assistance because all those people can't afford to actually support their families anymore. Now, what happens at the end? Well, let me give you a sense of when they rig the rules, how this thing plays out. Look at corporate profits versus corporate taxes. When I show you that chart, you're going to see in 1952, the blue line is actually corporate taxes. And they're actually high, paying a higher percentage of taxes than their corporate profits. So now that's the golden age, 1950s to 1960s. That's what the uh, conservatives say, the golden age, right? And then it shifts, and look, you got parity. They make profits, but they also pay the same amount of taxes. Until you get to about 1984, and then what happens? Profits soar, and taxes start to drop. Why? Because in the 1980s, that's when they began to purchase all these politicians because in 1978 it became legal for corporations to spend money on politics. Citizens United only put that on steroids. But they, it became legal in 1978. And you see it in every chart. And all of a sudden corporate profits go up, corporate taxes go down. In fact, here, corporate taxes are supposed to be 35%. And they cry. You see them all over TV, CNBC, Fox. They say, oh my God, the corporate taxes are too high. You know what the real rate that they're paying, the effective tax rate is? Lowest, 12.1%. It's supposed to be 35. It's down to 12.1%. Because they set the laws to their advantages. Now, let's get a sense of perspective here. Corporate income tax in 1952, it was 33% of federal tax revenue. In 2012, it's 9% of federal tax revenue. Why is that so important? You see what they just did? They shifted the tax burden from themselves onto you because somebody's got to pay the taxes you got to have schools cops firemen the defense etc they don't want to pay it they bought the politicians so they don't have to pay it you pay it that's how you get screwed and then they take away your rights and then you get less wages and less pensions etc and in fact this is the worst of all you want to talk about lower wages look at this chart of productivity i show it often on the show because it is so telling productivity going through the roof, American workers, you're doing a great job. And right around 1978 to 1984 in that ballpark, what happens? Boom. Average hourly compensation and average hourly wage no longer match productivity. The wage you're getting flatlines. They take everything in the middle. 
And then, of course, they use a small percentage of that to buy politicians. And then they turn around and go, what, us? Oh, we weren't planning this. And get a load of Governor Snyder at the end now. When he says, what, I'm just trying to help unions. You think I'm kidding? Here it is. Yeah, they actually came to my house. Um, and this is one of those issues that it's important to move forward with because it's all about being pro-worker. This is about giving the workers the freedom to choose whether their resources go to a union or not. And I actually don't view this as anti-union because it really gives the unions an opportunity to better present their value case. And if people see value, they should join. If they don't, why should their resources go there? You see how disingenuous he is? The guy who'd been planning to do this all along, even though originally he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Then he says, oh, I'm trying to help the unions by making sure they get less dues, less members, and have less power. So that, they could, of course, they don't have the ability to negotiate for higher wages. And he's totally lying when he says, oh, I'm just giving people a choice. No, you're allowing for freeloaders. If they get the benefits of the union negotiation, of course they should pay the dues. Now, if they don't have anything to do with the union, it's a whole separate issue, as I explained in the beginning. So, finally, here is the conservative dream come true. Because the whole point of this is not only to take away your power, but the ultimate last trick is to get you to fight one another. So he says, oh, I'm just trying to help some of the workers, and some of the workers actually are such suckers they believe him, and then this kind of fighting ensues. Why can't you see my point of view? Because I support everybody. I'm not for myself. You look at me, boy. It shouldn't be a condition of employment that you have to join a union and have to pay dues as a condition of employment to feed your family. Perfect. Hunger Games. Get the districts to fight one another. Get the poor to fight one another. Get the workers to fight one another. Meanwhile, you took all the gain from their productivity you lowered their wages, their health care, their pensions, and you laughed at them while they fought one another. It's a sick game, but that's exactly how it's played. Thanks for listening, everyone. So I, I definitely thought that it was appropriate that today there would be, you know, a big important topic to cover and to, and to do it in a big extended version show sort of way. You know, I liked all the clips in today's show. I didn't want to get rid of any of them. So I just left them all in as I sometimes do, made a big show out of it. And, uh, and that was a good thing to get in today because as I do every year, I'm, I'm about to start my winter holiday vacation. And uh, so, you know, that's starting tonight. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to go visit with and meet some of uh, the members of my girlfriend's extended family for the very first time I'm doing this. And, you know, sweaters will be involved, the whole nine yards. So wish me luck on that. But in the meantime, I will be posting a couple of really great rerun episodes. I've already picked them out. Uh, they're some of my favorites uh, from the past year. But, you, I mean, you haven't heard them in a long time. They're from, you know, like last winter season, basically. And, you know, I thought that they were fitting and and all of that. So I, I picked them out. I'm going to add, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit in those as well just to frame them properly. Uh, so, so those will be dropping during... Uh, the next you know week and a half or, or so as the uh, as the holidays go on, but today I just want to leave you with sort of a parting shot uh, to let you know. And you know this is one of those things. It's like it's sort of obvious. A lot of people know this already, but 
I didn't know it, so I'll share it. And, uh, you know, so of course I'd heard the phrase holy day, referring to a religious holy day before. But recently, just within the past few weeks, I read it and I, you know, I read the phrase holy day. And when you see it in print, it becomes really obvious and you say, oh, clearly the word holiday is derived from holy day because they look the same and sound the same and they mean the same thing and all of that. I was like, oh, geez, I, I had no idea. So, you know, as, as I'm always on the lookout for things like this, uh, if you are a liberal atheist out there and you feel like you're running low on things to be offended by, well, then you're welcome. You can add this one to your list. And I say that if someone comes up and wishes you a happy holidays, then you just throw paint on their coat. I don't, I don't care what kind of coat they have uh, or why you would throw paint, but uh, just to show that you're offended by their brash use of shoving religion down your throat, um, it's it's disgusting what uh, what America has become. All that was a joke, by the way. I'm, I know at least one person is going to not catch on that that was a joke. Uh, so that is going to be it for today. I want to thank everyone for supporting the show uh, in all the different ways, you know, by becoming a member, making one-time donations, uh, or whether you had to bend your moral compass or not in order to uh, shop at Amazon through my affiliate link or, or, or chose to not shop at Amazon uh, whatsoever. I appreciate all of you, all of those people, um, especially in the, uh, you know, this shopping season of the uh, holy days, which sounds like an oxymoron. You know, shopping through that affiliate link really does help the show. So if you're going to do that sort of thing anyways, I, I just, you know, I know the shopping season is almost over, so this is a moot point. So I'm thanking anyone who went out of their way to do that. I really appreciate it. Of course, everyone can help support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word through your social networks of individual clips you particularly like. All that can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day except for when I take a bunch of vacation time uh, for the holy days from bestoftheleft.com black and white you took a picture that wasn't right